Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.33 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. Roos Chris Steakhouse, the greatest steak you've ever had. Edmonton owned and operated. Open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 99.90. Jasper Avenue, tell Brendan, Maggie, and Taylor and all the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers Now sent you. Every Wednesday on Oilers Now, uh, we are pleased to be joined uh, by a longtime NHL player. Uh, went on to head up Octagon's player agency, was a GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and now from the NHL Network, our headliner today for touchback safety from fall protection to forklift training. Trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. The man who told us, Dave Tippett, the first guy to tell us that Dave Tippett was going to be head coach, the Edmonton Oilers, Brian Lawton. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? Well, that doesn't mean anything. I probably told you I thought he could be a finalist for the coach of the year, and that didn't work out. My guess is he came in fourth. That's probably – I'm just – if I was to – three guys from the Eastern Conference, uh, the media uh, – the, the broadcasters vote on it. I would assume that it was pretty close. Um but you had it. You had Tippett before anybody else did. Um, 1977-78 New York Islanders. That's the only team in NHL history that's had a better combined um, uh, special teams than what the Edmonton Oilers had this season. When you evaluate coaches, how much does special teams play a factor in that? Um, special teams are always critically important. But you have to look at the personnel on the club as well. And to be fair to Edmonton, I felt like a couple of years ago, I have to go back and look at my notes, but there were some players that were kind of those third, fourth line guys that were really good penalty killers that were eliminated from when the Oilers actually had some good stats, particularly on the PK. So uh, you got to look at both things. Uh, Dave Tippett, uh, Jim Playfair, his entire staff, um, you had to give them an A-plus on what they were able to do. There were some new players brought in this year that changed the dynamic, but it was still the nucleus of certainly guys that have been there in the past, and that's what's so special to me. That's why I'd give them, a, I'd give them an A-plus in that area. Um, you Were you considered an offensive player by the coaches that had you? I was supposed to be an offensive player. Uh, Pierre Paget told me I'd never be an offensive player when I was 22 because I hadn't scored more than 21 goals in a season. And that was four seasons for me. Hmm. I remember thinking, uh, and Pierre and I are friends now, but we were not friends then, trust me. Oh, to have somebody tell me that I'm not going to be an offensive player at the NHL. <laughs> at the age uh, of 22. No, it's not going to happen for you. You played yeah. 40 years. You never scored more than 21 goals. I said, but you know, Pierre, I scored 19, even strength. I really haven't played the pop. doesn't matter. You're not an offensive player. Oh, okay. Well, you're a jerk. 
I, I, I'm going to guess that it was good news uh, that he wasn't coaching Shane Doan when Shane had didn't get into double-digit goals for his first four seasons in the National Hockey League then. Uh, you know what? To be fair to Pierre, he, him and I, as I said, are friends today. We weren't so much back then, but uh, times are different. Times are different. People have changed their views, particularly with younger players. You know, I mean, Joe Thornton, he had a terrible first year with the Boston Bruins. Yep. I feel like it worked out okay in the end. I guess where I was going to go with that is about the definition of roles and ensuring that everybody on the team, uh, because this is a different generation of players. We all know that. It's a different time, Brian, as we know. And, you know, and maybe it's just a byproduct of when you sort of came up in 1983. I don't know if coaches really cared about the personal feelings of their players that much. And I just get the sense with Dave Tippett, one of the things, and you told us that he'd be able to do this, but he seemed to get everybody engaged and involved in the process. Because the Oilers, and we'll talk about about the flawed roster in a second, but at the start of the season, they... They didn't have near the depth that they now currently have as we get ready to get started here again. But he made it, I got the sense that he made everybody feel a part of things. You know what I mean? Uh, no doubt about it. He he comes from an era when that wasn't the case. And yet, to be fair to Dave, he was very defined as a checking, penalty killer, defensive player. That was his role. I played with him in Hartford. He embraced it. Uh, he was fortunate to have some people in Hartford, even though it wasn't maybe typical at the times where coaches understood that it was important. It is important to make sure everybody feels valuable on the team. A lot of guys have come in and they've always maybe focused using Edmonton as an example as let's make Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl happy. And that's not enough to win in the National Hockey League. You've got to get everybody on board there are some really good coaches right now in the league that understand, accept that, and it's a part of their DNA. Dave Tippett is, is one of them. He's not the only one, but he definitely gets that. And uh, you, I, I talked to him in the summer before he arrived in Edmonton, and you know those are some of the things he mentioned, how important it is to get everybody engaged, to make everybody feel a part of it, so that even if some night you come up with seven minutes and the team feels and the team won, you still feel good about your contributions. And Brian, on October. Seems like it'd be elementary. It's not, Bob. It really yeah. isn't. We're joined by Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. Bob Stoffer with you in Oilers now. Brian, on October the 29th, we were in Detroit, okay? And I watched Detroit's morning skate, and they got guys like Larkin in Athens U. And then I watched the Oilers' morning skate that day. And I remember saying to, to somebody, I'm like, the orders are too slow. Like, they're going to, they need to find a way to, and I, that was the day I actually put a tweet out on Yamamoto. And I got some pushback from uh, even a couple of media guys in town. And I'm like, I know what I'm watching in the morning skate. I can see the lot, when you, when you see a team like Detroit, which is not a great team, but they got some guys that can move. To me, it was concerning watching the lack of pace. Um, and the end result, now, they didn't have Nygaard playing. He was out with an injury at that stage. But they didn't have, you know what I mean? Like, I was a little bit, now, think about this. That was on October 29th. Here we get back on the ice on, on Monday. And yesterday it was really noticeable down at the community arena because we're so close to the ice surface where we are as media guys. 
the Oilers have speed now. You know, like they they've obviously we all know about McDavid. Dries, and and by the way, McDavid looks even better, Brian, than he did in September of this. Like he looks faster, uh, more confident. But the, it's it's you know they've added. Yamamoto up from the minors. He's a quick player. Ennis is a quick player. Athanasio is an absolute thoroughbred that can fly. Uh, Nygaard is back from his injury. Like, they have ability to play a different type of game, and that's the way the game's going, isn't it? It is. It is, and I think Ken Holland, you have to really credit him. He's worked really hard on addressing it, knowing that you can't do it all in one fall swoop. You know, most of the really good general managers like Ken, who's a Hall of Fame general manager now, and he deserves that title, most of the really good guys can recognize quickly what's wrong with the team. Um, But then they understand the patience to wait and to strike when it's appropriate. I think Ken has done an incredible job this year of doing that. Uh, I think Dave has done an incredible job of taking what he has, not complaining about it, not publicly or privately, accepting it and just going about the task of trying to make better the group of guys that he's given. And that really is his job. But uh, Ken has, he's watched closely, he's listened, he's called upon his experience, and he's made some great additions for this team. This team is much better now, in my opinion, than when they started the season. Yeah, and because of that, and because they're a younger team, I want to do a comparison and contrast between Edmonton and Colorado. Had a couple other guys from around the league reach out today, and they're like, you know what? You guys in Colorado are the two teams I want to watch. And, I, and I'm like, oh, well, like this year in the playoffs? They're like, no, for the next five years. Like, <laughs> it was a pretty interest. It was a pretty interesting comment. So, on that note, because I know you're piped in on that marketplace, um, partially through the agency business as well. But are there? Is it fair to, to sort of draw some comparables between Edmonton and Colorado? It, it absolutely is. I would say that uh, the teams are on very similar tracks, slightly different timelines but not off by much at all, really, when you look at it. But, yes, they are very, very similar. There are two teams that, particularly when, you know, we saw it this year, and it really shocked a lot of people. You know, San Jose and Anaheim, you know, they look like teams that kind of aged out a little bit. And I think a lot of people thought that would continue on for at least another year or two or three. Vegas could be the next team that that affects, um, you know, Colorado and, and Edmonton are the teams that will be dominant. St. Louis, I feel like they've got more cover there for a few more years, but uh, Edmonton and Colorado are the two young teams in the West, in my opinion, that are the best situated right now to have a six- to eight-year run of dominance tough to project out further than that but yeah. just what they have in the pipeline never mind you know who they're going to pick up along the way and what changes or additions ken holland is going to make um in edmonton's case but uh you know colorado's the same way they've just got some really strong young players they're going to get squeezed a little bit on maybe a guy like landis Cog, like edmonton might get on ryan nugent hopkins 
um, just by virtue of what's happening in the cap world. But those are not things that any GM could have forced on. And in Ken's case, he didn't even have a say, really. He's, he's just picking up from where Peter left off and trying to put together a winning plan long term. Because I talked to Ken and he's told me that was his goal going in there. And he, he knows everybody wants to be in the playoffs again immediately. Everybody expects a lot from that team, but he also understands that that doesn't really change the equation because people are antsy about things. So that that's what the Edmonton Oilers bought when they hired Ken Holland. And it really, truly was what they needed. We're joined right now by Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. Brian, uh, you mentioned so Colorado and Edmonton, two teams to watch over the next six to eight years. Anybody in the Eastern Conference that you think is a bit like that? In the Eastern Conference, you know, you could make a case that Columbus is coming. It's still early for them. They don't have the high-end players to match up with that. Uh, Tampa should have staying power, although the cap is really going to crunch them. They're just a little bit further along than a team like Colorado in Edmonton is in terms of the pay structure for their team, and I think that's going to negatively impact them. Boston, I actually, you know, the way their payroll is, they're going to lose Chara, obviously, eventually. David Krejci's probably gone pretty soon as well. But they've got a guy like Jack Studnika waiting in the wings that looks like he could eventually replace the David Krejci. Uh, Their best players are signed very inexpensively. They look to be in a really good spot to me. They just don't have maybe all of the young pieces on board, but uh, I really like where they're at. Um, The Rangers are coming. Cap issues could hurt them. Uh, You know, it's amazing how quickly things can change. When you're in an environment like we are now uh, in terms of salary cap, uh, you can lose a million different ways. Uh, Salary cap is going to do a lot of damage to teams over the next four or five years, in my opinion, especially if you were kind of already in that cycle of ramping up with your quality players. Like, I think Tampa will be ravaged in terms of losing good players over the next uh, two to three years. What about the Leafs? The Leafs, to me, are another team that they, unfortunately, this will probably make a lot of people happy in Edmonton, (laughs) in Toronto, but unfortunately... They finally have accumulated a ton of really good players. Uh, They're just paying top dollar for every one of them right now. And eventually, as guys like Morgan Riley come up, uh, they try to figure out their goaltending. They're trying to do it. I give them a lot of credit for that. It's going to be tough for them. It's going to be really, really tough with the high-end payroll that they have that stretches, you know, four, five, almost six forwards on their team. That's going to make it a challenge. Yeah, well, I mean, they got three guys at $33 million, right? And, you know, obviously in Matthews Tavares, who's a little bit older and not the greatest skater, though he's a highly competitive player. He's certainly one of the best 30 players in the league. I don't know if he's one of the 10 best players in the league. Marner's got some real upside, and I think he's going to be a highly creative player for a long time. But for $33 million, 
You know, Edmonton's going to have McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins coming in at no more than 28. Like, I can't see Ryan get more than $7 million in his next deal, and I do think there's going to be an app. I, I could be wrong there, but I do think there's going to be an appetite from Edmonton to re-sign him just because of sort of what he means collectively to the group. You know what's great about this, Brian? We have just gone... 16 minutes in this conversation we haven't talked about the cba and we haven't talked about the virus once we do still have to get here uh, for all the respective players from the other organizations to get to the hub cities of edmonton and toronto and you were right last week you said it'd be 70 to 80 percent it came exactly in that range in terms of uh the uh, vote uh, for the uh you know cba and return to play so on that note as a former agent and a guy who's been the gm once you saw the particulars uh, with the cba um larry brex out of new york says the players got hosed alan walsh who's often been a critic of a lot of different things he was pretty complimentary of the deal what would you uh, say from your perspective um from my perspective my honest opinion is and I had this conversation with a, a couple of GMs that really, you know, everything was so in the dark. That's the best way to do these things. But um, their initial reaction was pretty, pretty good deal for teams and ownership. At the end of the day, nobody got hosed. Um, but it's about hedging. And I think Donald Fair's goal was to try to hedge for the players and Gary Bettman was trying to hedge for ownership groups. I think the NHL will win that battle, and that's just my opinion. That's yet to be determined. But, uh, like, I'm not sure when I talk to players, Bob, if they're fully aware that because you're capped at 20% escrow next year doesn't mean you can be responsible for more than 20%. <laughs> you know, and that's with deferring 10% of your salary. So it really works out to be about 28% coverage. I just think it, this was a, a battle that was beyond even the normal fan. Had to right. do with hedge, hedging for the business long-term and hedging for players long-term. And at the end of the day, I feel like the players were, were I don't want to say outsmarted, they just were outgunned a little bit. I think the NHL understood and did a better job. Um, I don't pull any punches. I'm not rooting for the NHL or the players. I'm trying to look at it unbiasedly. That is how I feel. And uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, it's all about modeling. It's all about things that are so unsexy to the average fan. They probably want to throw up right now. But it's big business to the ownership groups. It's big business for players. It has to be done. It has to be dealt with. In this particular case, I feel like uh, the players didn't really get the hedging that has been suggested and they basically just extended what they had which wasn't a terrible deal so that's why i say nobody got annihilated but um my scorecard would have the nhl still decidedly ahead you do appreciate the sentiment out there that there's there what like the last thing people want to hear is people whining uh Industries whining, especially industries where you have billionaires negotiating against millionaires. There's not a lot of empathy for that out in the public. In these now, current the general public, they, they they don't want to hear it, Bob. They could es care less. Especially they're, they're lucky because yeah, especially yeah. but they're lucky, Bob, because you've got guys like Connor McDavid 
that, you know, lo and behold, here's this guy I read a quote from last week. He's talking about he just hopes he gets a chance to compete <laughs> for a roster spot on the Olympic team. That's a pretty damn solid human being that was raised the right way. I'll tell you that. And that's yeah. what fans care about. And they should, because that's really powerful. The money thing, uh, you know, Connor McDavid, he doesn't. It's not about money for him. And that's what makes the sport so great. Awesome stuff. Brian, as always, we appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us on the Oilers Now. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. From the NHL Network, uh, former NHL executive, a longtime NHL agent, number one pick, 1983 NHL draft, Brian Lawton. 12.53 in Edmonton. We'll take a two-minute timeout. You're listening to Oilers Now. Hi, this is Oscar Clefbaum from the Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Shed. All right, uh, it is 12.56 in Edmonton. Thank you very much, Oscar. You can text us at 780-496-0063. And uh, we are going to go to the Ashley Fine Floors text line. This one comes to us from Fear of the Fin. That's Phil, the San Jose Sharks fan. Bob, question for you. Uh, shouldn't Brian's statement about Colorado and Edmonton being... Uh, good for the next six to eight years, prefaced by the following. They should be, considering they both sucked for so long and had so many top ten picks. Uh, well, that's a perspective that is out there. And as a San Jose Sharks fan, uh, you know, they're run from, I don't know, 2000, for the sake of argument, 2003-04 until 2018-19 is quite impressive. I think they had the best overall winning percentage in the league over that 15-year period. Unfortunately, they didn't win the Cup. They didn't make it to one Stanley Cup final. Uh, they probably had a couple other teams. If you win 50 games in the league, you can win a Stanley Cup. I mean, they just it just didn't ultimately uh, happen for them. Again, you can text us 780-496-0063. Bob, why do you think 20% of the uh, players rejected the CBA? Uh, demographics, agents, teams, player pensions. Um the playoff template, uh, playoff format looks like a template for future years without the first place teams around Robin. Yeah, I don't think it is necessarily a ten- Theo, I'll go, uh, I'll work in reverse order. I, some people have said 24 teams makes a lot of sense. Maybe when we get to a 32nd NHL team when Seattle comes into the league. Um, I'm not convinced we're going to be at 24 playoff teams. I still think we might be at 16. Why do I think 20% of the players rejected the, the new CBA? I think there's lots of different factors. Um, and I think that there's some hardcore guys that felt that the PA should have negotiated harder. Uh, but the fact of the matter is 80% is an overwhelming uh, majority of players. Like if you win a provincial election with 40% of the popular vote, like a party did in 2015 in this province, that is not an overwhelming amount. We had a political party that won an election in 2019 in Alberta with 54% of the vote, so 14% higher of the popular vote. Um, and that is a majority. I wouldn't call that an overwhelming majority, and it's reinforced on a daily basis with the texts and uh, tweets I might get once in a while here on the show. All right, off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Pell. David Staples, call to hockey when we return in orders now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.